0: of it, and why I am going to call it an exclamation point on the story of Scripture, that peace is here, and that's not a light thing to be said. So Luke chapter 2, we will look at verse 14, but I want to read verses 1 through 15 to gather the Christmas story, spirit, and context. Luke 2 verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went their way from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Lord, I ask tonight that the thing that the shepherds saw, that they say that you made known to them, that that same thing would be made known to us tonight. We want to see Jesus. We want the coming of his peace to impact and collide in our lives of human-organized chaos. So Lord, we pray. I pray for our hearts to be awakened tonight. Lord, in, in the lull and hum of Christmas season, that there would be true fervency for your son tonight. And I just ask that we could sing with that chorus, Glory to God in the Highest. So take your glory, Father. Take it and illuminate yourself. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Unfortunately, this often becomes a time of year when we hear the angelic chorus singing Peace on earth, but we don't often get to sing in the chorus, peace on earth. We get shuffled from buying gifts to Christmas parties to going to church, and it seems as though peace has become this thing that is to be reflected upon during the Christmas season rather than to be received within ourselves. And I don't want us to sit here and hear Jesus bringing peace on earth and just reflect upon it. He brought peace, exclamation point, to enter into your heart. And that is the good news of Christmas. But we often come at this time of year and think, peace on earth? We look at nation versus nation, brother against brother, and we think, peace on earth? It was John Van Aken in his book, From Karma to Grace, he said this, Peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. (laughs) And we say, peace on earth? What was the angel talking about when he proclaimed peace on earth? Did he mean simply that on that one silent night in Bethlehem, when the earth stood still, was that the peace on earth? And now we're just left to fend for ourselves? Hardly. In order to see the importance of this announcement of peace, I want to take us through looking at the meaning of peace. What does the angel mean when he says peace on earth? Then look at the history of peace on earth and then the sacrifice of peace on earth. And like I said, when the angel announces peace on earth, this isn't some like, whoa, that's intriguing that the shepherds thought. This was the stamp and exclamation point of the entire history of Israel. When they hear peace on earth, their awaited hopes and dreams had come, is what the angel announced. And this was exciting. This was, the whole story of their nation has come to its purpose and its climax. And the people were thrilled to hear, peace on earth has come now. So, let us now look at the meaning, what does the angel have behind his phrase here, peace on earth, so that we can understand and look truly, The angel wasn't joking when he said, peace on earth has come. It's really here. And it's findable, even though we are standing around (laughs) reloading for our next battle. So peace has a number of different meanings in the Old Testament for starts. The Old Testament used it in a number of ways. For example, in Psalm 4.8, peace refers to physical security. In Isaiah 26.3, peace refers to contentment. In Psalm 122, peace refers to prosperity. In 1 Samuel 7, peace refers to the absence of war. And of course, the traditional greeting of Jews, shalom, which is the Hebrew for peace, was a goodwill greeting, hello, goodbye, I wish you well, type of phrase. Those are some of the meanings in the Old Testament for peace. Now we shift over to our American culture. What does peace mean in America? Well, I looked in the Oxford Dictionary and found three main definitions, the first being that peace is tranquility and quiet, in other words, freedom from disturbance. So we sit with a nice cup of coffee listening to Handel's Messiah, and we call that peaceful. Um, Second is the cessation of violence and war, that definitely we call peace, and that's what the world seems to be yearning for is that political violent peace. <laughs> violent peace, the you know absence of violence type of peace. And then third, um, I guess Americans also use peace be with you as a greeting or a wish. So much like the Jews would use shalom. But neither of these is the correct use of peace in 2 verse 14. So when we hear the angel tell us, peace on earth, we should not start to think, oh, yay, Christmas means I'm going to be tranquil in my soul. Christmas means that we don't have to fear Russia or Iran anymore. Christmas means, oh, yay, blessings and goodies for us. I mean, our culture has toned down and cheapened the phrase, peace on earth, goodwill to men, so that we often just think, oh, yes, we love Christmas. It's a tranquil time. The snow's beautiful when it falls. The tree's lit. The candles are lit. The fire's roaring. It's so peaceful. Or just that whole kind of like good luck phrase for the world. Like, if only we would all celebrate Christmas and think about more often the spirit of Christmas, peace on earth, get along, and the whole exchanging of gifts. Okay, fine, those are great um, sentimentalities and goals in Christmas. But when the angel stands and terrifies the shepherds and makes them wake from their terror to move to Bethlehem because he says peace has come, that is not what they had in their mind. That kind of peace does not motivate you to go to Bethlehem and leave your sheep, your livelihood. So what kind of peace is declared here. The kind of peace the angel declares here is the life that God intended for us to live. I know I told you that the Old Testament has those, those five meanings for peace I read off, but I didn't read all of them off to you. There's one meaning that the Old Testament uses peace for. And it's the primary meaning. And according to Nelson's Bible Dictionary, this is what peace means in the Old Testament. It means completeness, soundness, and well-being of the whole person. Completeness, soundness, well-being of the whole person. That's the idea here in 2.14. The angel speaks and says, well-being, complete, and wholeness unto you tonight. Be unto you is born this day a Savior. This is a definition of bring it all together. I think this works best. Peace is the rich, integrated, relational wholeness that God intended for his creation. The rich, integrated, relational wholeness that God intended for his creation. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring the peace of that rich, integrated, relational wholeness to us so that we can come back to where we were designed to be. That's what the angel means when he says peace on earth. And when the choir stands up behind the angel and sings peace on earth, that is what we're talking about. The wholeness that you and I were meant to live in. And that was indeed, that's why the angel said, this is good news that I give to you. So in short, what we can do is describe peace as a fulfilled life. To have peace is to have life fulfilled one complete life is peace not several scattered purposes that's not peace that's life in pieces but one whole complete purpose and that's that's what god gives and comes and fills us with so in 214 when the angel le- angelic choir begins to sing peace on earth the angels are not announcing the end of war they're not announcing some tranquil lifestyle for man's fretting mind to rest under what they're announcing is the promised position of salvation that complete eschatological salvation of the whole man That's what they're announcing. Peace, salvation has come to restore you to your wholeness. And that made the shepherds tremble. That made the demons tremble. Because as a Christmas song that I listened to recently says, they knew very well what this grace, what this peace could do to the life of man. The world stood still here to hear this pronouncement. So, that peace here in 2.14 is synonymous with our salvation in Christ, can be seen in a couple of verses. Let me read a couple to you, and you'll see that peace and salvation are often synonymous terms, and it'll click. For example, Isaiah 52.7. Now, mind you, the angel had just said in Verse um, 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. Well, Isaiah 52 7 says this, it may be in the back of the angel's mind here. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation who says to Zion, your God reigns. So Isaiah there takes the good news as being the publishment of peace and the publishment of salvation. Parallel lines in the poetry, which means they're the same thing. Luke 19, verse 42, Jesus, after his triumphal entry, is weeping over Jerusalem because they don't accept him as their Messiah. And he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, what's behind Jesus' mind? He's saying, the things that make for your salvation, because I have come for that, but you, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Here's a clear one, Acts 10, verse 36, Peter's preaching. He says, as for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of what? Peace through Jesus Christ. Is is that what was preached? It was salvation. But the salvation is peace because the peace gives us that rich, integrated, relational wholeness that we were made to have with God. Ephesians 2, 14 Jesus himself is our peace. Can't you not insert salvation? And he came and preached peace, he came and preached salvation, to those who were far off, and peace, or salvation, to those who were near. And here's the clearest and final verse, Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. When that declaration there says, now the salvation of Christ has come, that Greek word for salvation is a very same Greek word used here in 2.14 that says peace. So there you have it. When the angel says peace on earth, he is announcing salvation. The rich, integrated, relational wholeness we were made to have with God is here. And you can have it. And the shepherds are Ecstatic. Not just because, oh, yeah, salvation came. Where did that come from? There's a history here. Shepherds know it. Israel knows it. They feel it. They're yearning for it. There's a history that preaches their need for peace with God, for rich, integrated, relational wholeness to be restored to them. So here's the history of peace on earth. This is why this song this first Christmas song is why this is an exclamation point on the story of the Bible. goes back to the garden, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We once had this rich, integrated, relational wholeness with God. And it was in the garden. It says that God walked with man in the cool of the day. They knew him In fact, Genesis chapter 2 describes the garden as a temple. A temple because that's where God dwells, as where God is meeting with man, walking with him, talking with him, relationship with him. It is rich, whole, integrated relationship there in the garden. And that's what made the garden a paradise, was the presence of God among men. So much so that the garden was called Eden. Eden means garden of delight because God was there. It was a garden of delight. But, as we know in Genesis 3, man's sin, essentially, he denounces this rich, integrated, relational wholeness he has with God. He denounces it. I don't want it. And he puts a stake in the ground for his own independence and separates himself from God. And in an act of judgment, God exiles man from the garden of delight. And in exiling him from the garden, man is exiled from that peace with God, that whole integrated relationship with God. So man, ever since Genesis 3 on, has been wandering on the earth as exiles misplaced from their home where they belong. Then from that point on, we have this series in the biblical history of attempts to make peace on earth, every single which of them that failed. The first was the promised land. God brought his people out of slavery from Egypt, takes them to the promised land, and when they reach the promised land, what God does is he brings them not just to any land, he brings them to a new Eden, the promised land was to be a place for Israel to regain that habitual fellowship with God. As God told Abraham in Genesis seventeen eight, I give to you and your offspring, that's Israel, all the land of Canaan, the promised land, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Point, I'm giving you the promised land so that I can be with you. I'm taking you out of exile and putting you back into a garden situation. Well, we know the story with the garden, don't we? Or with the promised land. They fail to conquer the idolatrous inhabitants. Instead, they make friends with them, and those idolatrous inhabitants lead them to worship their gods, and God is no longer their God in the promised land. So the land that promised peace because of a restored relationship with God deteriorates into man rebelling in the garden once again. Well, seeing that peace failed in the promised land, Israel steps up and says, all right, give us a king, because truly we need a leader to give us peace. So Saul's appointed and As we've been going through the Bible on Sunday nights, you guys know that the Saul experiment was a disaster. It did not bring peace to the people at all. During Saul's reign, they were constantly in battle against the Philistines, and nothing good came out of it. But then, out of that disastrous experiment, God showed that he had a purpose the whole time and rose David out of those ashes. And David led the kingdom to a place of peace. He was the first to bring the 12 scattered tribes into one nation and make them into a kingdom. And under David's military expertise, he expanded that land. The borders were bigger than ever before and David picked up the torch of driving out the inhabitants and did a very good job at it, making Israel possess the promised land to an extent. And at that point, the kingdom's biggest, bigger than ever the question was, is, is this his time? Is peace going to come to the kingdom? Well, then comes Solomon. And oh, the prosperity. <laughs> it's so prosperous that um, it talks about silver being used for pavement. Silver had absolutely no value. It was so abundant. Nobody cared about it. And, and everyone's thinking, this is it. We have reached peace. The kingdom has Peace. <laughs> And the temple was built and everything seems fine. Everyone's with God and it's this nice honeymoon. But underneath the layers of gold and silver, a lot of tension was brewing because the prosperity of the kingdom was put on the pressure of the people to produce it. And the tension built until it finally snapped when Solomon died. And his, it snapped, the, the boiling point came to its steam right on his son. His son was unable to keep the tribes together, and the kingdom splits. And the sad reality flies in their face that we had no peace. It was a farce. And from that point, the kingdoms, both kingdoms, spiral down, 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 down. They don't have peace at all. Rather, they have pain and idolatry. Yahweh becomes this distant memory And peace is nothing but a far cry of hope. And then eventually, so the monarchy we see is the monarchy was a failed peace. Eventually the exile comes, once again another exile. The land that was supposed to be a new Eden for Israel failed to produce peace. And they were kicked out, just like man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden and sent into exile once again. But we know, because we've just gone through Nehemiah and Ezra, that they return to the land, but never the same way. From that moment they return from their exile up to the point of Luke chapter 2 in our text, they are under foreign rulers. So peace seems to be impossible to come to their kingdom. We'll never have our kingdom again. We'll never have that restored relationship with God because all these heathen live in our land. So peace seems impossible at the point the angel bursts on the black night scene and the shepherds are terrified and he announced, good news, peace is here. You you mean the peace that seems like an an impossible dream that's completely out of our hands? Peace is here. The rich, integrated relational wholeness that we're meant to have with God most high is here in Jesus Christ. And so the angel's news might as well have basically said, Jesus has come to deliver you from exile, to bring you back to the place of his relationship. Exile's over. He's come to be a new Moses, lead you out of Exodus seriously and this is the good news this is the excitement that's the exclamation point the exile is over and that rich integrated relational wholeness we're made to have with god is possible because that's what jesus came to bring that kind of peace but it didn't come cheap and it didn't come easy Yes, Jesus came. Peace was here. But we still have to bring people to the peace. Peace came in jesus ephesians two fourteen says that Jesus himself is our peace isaiah nine six and seven. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called, list of things, and at the end, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. He's the Prince of Peace. So peace is embodied in himself and only Jesus can deliver this peace to us. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you because the world can't give you this peace. We see the biblical story is one account of failed peace after another. It won't happen, but Jesus brought it. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You won't have peace there, but take heart. I am. Have overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? By his blood. And that's the sacrifice of peace on earth. It came through his blood. You may want to turn to Colossians one nineteen, but I'm going to read it. So, Colossians one nineteen says, "For in Jesus." All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, it's another word for make peace, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood. And you who were once alienated and hostile in your mind, lacking peace, doing evil things. In other words, you were once in exile from this relationship with God. He has now made peace in his body of flesh by his death. So the sacrifice of this announcement was the very blood of God's son. Because the world, this is why Jesus overcomes the world that can't give peace through his blood, because the world is holding up this revolutionary war that says, man's war of independence. No longer serving God, we are having a revolutionary war. And in the garden, we started to fire the first shots at God and said, we're independent, no more of you. But Jesus stepped in the middle of that war, took the bullets. And with his blood that was spilt, signed the peace treaty. So the angel can say, peace is here. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 4, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the enemies, us, to bring us to that peace with God. So his blood brought peace, and we are now reconciled to the fullness of God that we can enjoy that rich, integrated, relational wholeness that we were made to have with him. So that's why Jesus came, and the angel announces God, through Jesus, is inviting you back to peace with him. He's calling you out of exile. This is your exodus. The exodus is over. Jesus is here to lead us to the land of peace. Look at his life. His birth and life were to show us peace. Just like Moses was called to. Jesus was born, Moses was called to come to Egypt. Jesus born into the world, both to lead an exodus out of exile. His death purchased our peace, just like Moses had to lead Israel through Passover. The death of that lamb purchased their exodus out of Egypt and Jesus died on the cross, purchasing our exodus so that we can enter into peace with God. And the resurrection of Jesus established his offer of peace. It is now open for everybody because I showed it to you. I purchased it. I rose and here it is. I'm offering it to you. And Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea into death and out into new life on the far shores of Egypt. Jesus came to lead an exodus out of exile and back into the promised land of peace with God. And that's the announcement. That's the coming of peace on earth. And that's why an angelic choir comes up and stuns the shepherds with probably the most dramatic song you'll ever hear and see in your life. And that's the climax of history. That's what man's been waiting for. (laughs) And here it is. It's in Jesus. Now, there are lots of offers of peace there are lots of ways that we can try to numb our exile to try to find meaning and fulfillment in life. We can have these integrated relational things with other people or idols or things. And, but the problem is it's not going to be a rich relationship. And it's not going to be relational wholeness. You're still going to be empty. And you're going to need more and more things to have relationships with. So I think Luke wants to let us know in this text that this isn't just, here's an offer of peace. This offer of peace is superior to any other peace offered. Example, what does Luke begin this chapter with? This phrase, in the days, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's not just setting the scene. I think that Luke wants to pit Jesus against Caesar Augustus and show that the peace of Jesus far excels the peace of Caesar Augustus. Because Caesar Augustus was the first Caesar to be credited with creating a worldwide peace. The Roman Empire was fairly stable, and look what Luke says. He made a decree that all the world should be registered. In other words, Caesar owns it. He's brought worldwide peace, and Caesar was hailed for that. But here's Jesus, and another announcement. No, now peace has come. It's not Caesar Augustus. For example, um, on his birthday, Caesar Augustus would have human choirs praise him, sing his praises on his birthday. Of course, they're forced to or paid to. But here on Jesus' birthday... These aren't just forced people singing. This is an angelic choir, stunning shepherds in the night singing for the new bringer of peace. Um, Caesar, also on his birthday, people would often, all the time, but especially on his birthday, they would call him Lord and Savior. You're our master over the kingdom. You're our Savior who's brought peace to the Roman Empire. Well, the angels say that Jesus is not just Lord, not just Savior, but he is the Christ, the promised deliverer. And while Caesar delivered peace to the empire through taxing individuals, you owe me money, therefore I control you, that's how he established peace, Jesus brought peace to the world, not just the empire, by healing individuals, not taxing them by restoring that relationship we were meant to have with him. Further, Luke shows that this peace of Jesus is superior to Caesar Augustus's and anything else the world can offer because um, he shows us that this peace comes to people Caesar Augustus would never dare reach. First, this peace comes to outcasts. In verse 8, we read that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field you know, there's something admirable about the way we paint shepherds. They're burly man's men. You know, they fight off wolves and bears, and that's not their reputation in the day. Shepherds were outcasts. In fact, they were considered dishonest, and they were often accused of robbery and using land that was not rightfully theirs to feed sheep. According to the Jewish laws, they were considered unclean, and their na- the nature of their work kept them out of all religious experiences and exercises in the temple whatsoever. They were complete outcasts. They didn't have, they didn't get to be part of the society of Israel and all the religious festivities they would do. They're just out there, bad reputation, all alone. But these are the people peace on earth came to make its announcement to. Jesus' peace is far superior. Um, Also, he came to the oppressed. In verse 11, Jesus is declared the savior Other people make peace by oppressing, but Jesus comes to those who are oppressed and delivers them from that. That is true peace. Jesus also came to the humble. In verse 12, we see, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. King of the universe, peace on earth, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a crib Downtown Jerusalem mansion? Nope. in a manger. A feeding trough carved in stone where pigs slopped their mess and cows hacked stuff out of their mouths and donkeys came and slimed up the rest of the food. This is humility come. And when peace on earth was announced, his coming said, all are welcome. Oppressed, outcasts, the humble, all have access to this bringer of peace. So, it now comes to the moment where we either make ourselves part of the choir Glorifying God in the highest for the peace that has invaded our souls and restored us to God, or and made us find our wholeness in God, or we continue with the whole Christmas theme, and yes, we love the holly and the phrases peace on earth, and we continue to watch in amazement. The choir saying this, okay? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, and that's often all we like to think about. It goes on and says, among those with whom he is pleased. I understand some of, um, I believe just the King James translations say, and goodwill toward men, but it's universally accepted that the proper translation is among those with whom God is pleased. And if that's the case, that peace comes to those whom God is pleased with, then there's a condition to this peace. The angel said this is good news for all in verse 10, but it's clear that not all are going to receive the peace for all. There's a condition. Those who God is pleased with receive this peace. What does that mean? That means that we lay down our firearms of independence and embrace the loving arms with dependence, the loving arms of Jesus. This means that we treasure this peace more than anything else on this earth. That we would stand with the angelic choir and sing glory to God in the highest over myself. No matter what it takes, all glory to him. And it also means that we have to be shepherds. That's to whom God is pleased with in this text is the shepherds. The shepherds saw it and did not go back to their sheep. Just a minute. These are more important. They pursued this peace on earth like it was the most precious thing they had ever heard or could receive. And they went in verse 15. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go. Those are those whom God's favor rests upon. Those are the ones that receive the peace on earth. The ones who go, leave, whatever they've been holding on to for meaning, whatever they think has been giving them a rich, integrated, relational wholeness, leave that to find it in Jesus, real peace. Jesus came to give the peace of rich, integrated, relational wholeness with God. And that's what shepherds go and seek. Yes, they're outcasts. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, they're unclean. But the message was given to them, and they went. And if that's your heart, that's all you have to do. And you meet the condition that you please God, and peace on earth is yours. You no longer have to wander around this earth in meaninglessness like an exile with no home. You have it. So let Jesus be peace. Let him give you the rich, integrated, relational wholeness with God that you've been longing for all your life. Man, cast that shepherd's cane away. It's not going to do it for you. Cast that pride away. It's not going to make you feel whole. Cast that alcohol away. It will not complete. that pursuit for the extra dollar is not going to make you rich enough like god will whole somewise your concern for your own glory and reputation it's not going to complete you only jesus when he gives peace and you're restored to where you were made with rich, integrated, relational wholeness with God, will you finally say, I don't need all these pieces in my life. I just need peace. And life becomes simplified, it becomes powerful, and it becomes meaningful. You have one aim. That's purpose. You cut a chicken's head off, it runs in 50 directions, and it has no purpose But that's how we live looking for peace. When the angels declared, peace has come, it is Jesus. He came to give the peace of rich, integrated, restored, relational wholeness with God. And that is what you need. So be the shepherd and come to him tonight. Let your faith pour on upon him. And if you still don't seem to get it or think that you got it yet, Do what Spurgeon said. You go to your room tonight and pray until you know you have peace with God. So Father, that is our desire tonight. We're sick of being exiles on this earth. We want home. We want rest. We want meaning. We want wholeness. And so come and bring all of your infinite wholeness to us and invade our souls with peace. We desire not to simply reflect upon this message, but that it comes and stabs us And probes us until we, with every fiber of our being, desire to go to Bethlehem to see this great peace, this great salvation, this great exodus into peace. So Lord, for the heart that is not there, I pray you haunt them with this angelic choir. Sing peace on earth that song will be stuck in their head until you win them so in the name of your son whom we cherish above all else we pray amen